Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name, as ever, is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. Now, the idea of a Musings miniseries is that the topics are both random and often top of mind. And today's topic is definitely random, and some of you may be thinking when you hear it, how on earth is that top of your mind, Richard? But bear with me, and I shall reveal all. It's all about megatrends. <laughs> now, these are, are really big changes that we're, uh, we are already or will increasingly face in society over the next 10 to 50 years. So, okay, some of you right now might be saying, I don't really care what happens that far, far down the line. I mean, I may not even be here by then. But trust me, many of these megatrends will start to have an impact on our property investment decisions and property businesses today and if not today, sometime in, in the coming future for sure. And if any of us have anything of a long-term plan or, or a legacy goal beyond our time here, then there definitely will be affecting us, that's for sure. So I know it's a big topic, and I'll attempt to boil it down to take it from 35,000 feet down to just some more practical application, if you like. But at the same time, it, it is something of a high-level view. And I don't plan to go into intricate detail into into every aspect. It's really just to give a, a taster of the subject and how it can have a bearing on our future strategic plans as property investors. Now, if it goes well, and uh, I shall uh, I shall look to potentially go into further detail later, but I'll be basing that decision on your reaction and the download figures from this show. So uh, I'll spare you from it if I don't get a positive reaction. But, um, you know, obviously it's a little bit unconventional, but I like to sort of mix things up a little bit from time to time. So there we go. Mega trends is our big topic. And trust me when I tell you that it does have a bearing on us for sure. I'll give you some examples towards the end of the episode, which will illustrate uh, some things that have happened in the past and have affected us or, or could be affecting us today to illustrate that. Then after the uh, property chatter, which obviously is about megatrends, I've got a combined your voice and shout out to bring into the show today. And that comes in the form of a voicemail from Andy. And Andy's going to be telling us how we can potentially use the services of his not-for-profit organization to potentially um, help us in evaluating the emerging online letting agents uh, that are out there right now. And uh, he undertakes a kind of a review service, if you like, of online letting agents. So that's a very useful service. As I say, it's not-for-profit. So that can be uh, an additional uh, resource for us to use as well. So if nothing else, uh, if you're not into the 35,000 feet stuff, and even though I, I am telling you it will make a difference at ground level, um, there's a very practical tool, if you like, to look forward to towards the end of the show. So stick around for that, if nothing else. But here we go with Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Megatrends. It's probably not the sort of thing you want to talk about down the pub, is it? But um, So what are they? Well, these are, the, are major shifts, if you like, that will shape our lives in the future, I guess is the, 
is the the best way of describing it. And uh, in compiling the content from for today's show, I've researched um, sources from Forbes, KPMG, and PwC, among others. So um, some pretty heavyweight names in there in the in the news media and consultancy fraternity to to help pull this together. And in all honesty, I've, I have actually had this topic on on my mind for quite some time. So um, it's it's kind of compelled me, if you like, to pull it together and to release uh, release this content in one go, which is the purpose of today's show. Now I'm going to be provide, providing the links to those uh, resources or sources in the show notes, so uh, you can have a look at those in more detail. Because I do plan to uh, fly a little bit at a high level, and uh, certainly those three sources will take you a little bit deeper than I plan to. Now, big businesses and consultancies, for example, Forbes, uh, PwC, KPMG would be examples, uh, uh, certainly some of those would be consultancies, but some of the big businesses as well are spending significant amounts of time and money in identifying and then understanding the big issues that will affect us in the future. Now, why is that? Well, because it will uncover both opportunities and threats to to their businesses that's why so it's um it's obviously an area that uh, they're convinced is worth looking into and we just keep in mind why are they doing that it's i guess it's to uh, change their strategic plans for the fu- for the long term future so we of course might not be like uh, people or oh, sorry corporations like google ibm siemens facebook and amazon just to name a few who are some of the big names that are betting their future results on on some of these mega trends and i do i have had an inside view from uh, certainly microsoft and siemens who i used to work for in the past who uh, i know research in this area and do make uh, decisions to their future technological and strategic advances so you know, we might be small property investors at this point in time, but as I'll illustrate, it will be worth keeping an eye on this. And to illustrate that point a little bit, perhaps, I, I, I knew a fairly small property developer and he once said to me, uh, I'm just following the money. That was his phrase. And that always stuck with me. And uh, what he was doing, he was looking at a larger scale investor in his local community, seeing what he was doing. And then he was just copying him. So what what he did is he looked at larger developers who had more resources available to research trends and uh, and directions and strategies and uh, when they were doing things like new marina developments in 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 the town of Folkestone which is where he he potentially well he was he was following and uh, in in his footsteps and trying to invest in the local in that local area as well so that was an area of regeneration and if you know the town it's you know it will in fact lift the area and values uh, for for real estate property in that area too. So that was his philosophy and I think it makes a lot of sense. So we don't always have to be first to market like that larger developer or like an IBM or a Siemens or a Google for example. We don't have to be first to market and have deep pockets in order to win. But if we can be agile enough and flexible enough to catch up quickly then we should do okay. So the point therefore is to be aware of changes that are coming up down the line albeit 10 to 50 years potentially in some of these cases Uh, so at least we can factor these into our decision making and uh, you might be saying well 50 years I'm going to be I'm going to be in out by then so it won't matter well they are some of these things I'm about to go through will are actually starting to affect things today so you know it isn't as that long 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 term thinking I can assure you so let me just give you an example Uh, if you knew in advance that the cost 
of extracting coal combined with the decline in its selling price would ultimately lead to mass closure of coal mines back, you know, 30 years ago or whenever it was when that industry fell into decline. Would that affect your decision to invest in places like some of the small towns and villages in, say, North Derbyshire or Yorkshire? Now, there are obviously other, other places that were affected and blighted by the decline in the coal industry, but I'm just giving it as an illustration. So the question is, would that have affected your decision if you knew that information in advance? I think the answer is probably likely to be yes. Many of these towns and villages suffered tremendously economically, socially, and uh, you know, it led to house price stagnation or even decline, pressures on family budgets, reduced housing affordability general, etc. So that probably illustrates the point looking backwards. So obviously in the rear view mirror, it's probably easy to see that. And of course, hindsight is a perfect science. But I'm using the, the, um, the, the idea of hindsight here to illustrate foresight. And that's what I'll really be looking at with some of these mega trends. So that was a coal mining industry illustration. Let's just contrast this with the government's uh, education policy from around 20 or so years ago. Now, I've li- I have been leaving quite a few clues as to my age on the, on this podcast, and one or two listeners have actually reminded me of that from time to time. Um, so, you know, forgive me for that, but, you know, I did my university education uh, a few years ago, let's say, and it was certainly before the rise in student numbers. But certainly round about 20 or so years ago, there was uh, a, a big investment and a surge in university places for students amongst other other methods of uh, of learning but i think university education was seen as the way to go and you know around about in in the 60s only i think it was 2 to 5% people went to a university and and uh, and now it's around about 50% you know school leavers end up going to university so it was a significant upscaling in that in that industry so that was the educational sector but of course it had a spin-off effect didn't it in terms of you know universities people leaving home living in in university towns and cities and of course that meant housing housing demand didn't it for student accommodation so investors in places like Bristol Nottingham Manchester yeah, Durham even which was probably also a former mining area coincidentally but uh, you know those those towns and cities will testify that the student population explosion will have fueled local housing demand and driven up prices and rents as as they came in so again would have been worthwhile to have known that information in advance could it have affected our decision making if we'd have known that information and perhaps could have acted upon it again i think you're probably going to say yes it would so i'm just using a couple of idea um sorry illustrations from history if you like as hindsight examples to illustrate that why maybe you shouldn't just switch off and and go and do something else instead and bear with me and have a listen to some of these mega trends and how they could potentially shape our future foresight you know in strategic direction so let's just um, set the scene a little bit then Big ideas of what the future may hold can make a big difference to us, even even to our you know seemingly small by comparison property businesses. After all, our future standing may well depend on it, as I mentioned. So after that, something of a preamble, let's dive into these megatrends a little further, shall we? Now I'm going to talk you through uh, a table, and uh, you know it's a three-column table. So there you go, picture that in your mind's eye if you like. And I'm going to be covering eight mega trends. So you know, eight eight by three table is what you've got in your mind right now. I'm going to be talking you through in the rest of the uh, episode. There are potentially more. 
than I'm covering here. But what I've tried to do is boil down the key ones, if, if you like, that I believe will have the most relevance to us as property investors. And so um, I'll be talk talking about what those megatrends are, what some of the key issues, and they'll just be the top two or three items from each area, top key, key issues that may affect us and then some consequences perhaps for us to consider and again I'm not going to go into elaborate detail perhaps two or three um, bullet points really that uh, which could be uh, potential consequences onto our businesses so it's not what I would call a PEST P-E-S-T political economic social technology contingency plan that you might have heard about if you've studied any form of economics uh, as I did uh, for my for my sins um, but um, it is just to, you know to keep these things in mind and, uh, and just have a think really about decisions that we're making today that we might have to live with for the next 10, 20, 30 years or, in or perhaps our, our uh, descendants might have to live with um, you know the decisions that we make. So first of all, let's get them out there. What are the megatrends that I plan to cover in the course of this episode? And they are, in summary, people and society, sometimes known as population, urbanization, natural resources, technical... I just, just want to pause there because I said uh, urbanization and there was a big loud horn outside. And uh, I have noted that the environment I'm in is very urban. So sometimes you might actually hear a little bit of background noise that you might hear on busy streets in cities. And uh, I'm going to leave it there for a little bit of atmospheric effect. So people in society, urbanization, natural resources, technological advancement, globalization, public finances, rise of the individual and government complete the list of eight now some people may include transport and healthcare into this list amongst other ones but you know i i basically saw transport as a subsector of urbanization and healthcare as a subsection of people and society in all honesty so i didn't separate them out and if nothing else it kept my list down to something of a reasonable size as well so to deal with them in turn let's dive straight into it now So the first megatrend then, if you like, in my table is people and society. Uh, it could have been labelled as population, as I mentioned. So really the idea is here that um, the key issues, if you like, that could concern us are there's going to be more people. We have a growing population, we have a growing global population, but we also have a growing country population here in the UK, as you're probably aware. So I think the, the figures are that we're forecasted to grow to something like 63 million population over the next, uh, I think it's the next five to 10 years. So we've got a growing population. Um, we're living longer is the main reason. There are other reasons such as immigration. Uh, there is an increased immigration and migration and mobility. So, uh, and of course, you know, whilst that's been very topical, <laughs> certainly in the, in the run up to the last election, it was topical. Um, you know, there are various things that the government can and can't do in that respect. But uh, the bottom line is we have a growing population, as I mentioned. And of course, as I mentioned, the demographic rather mix is changing uh, at the same time, has been changing and continues to change. So, for example, there are now sm smaller household units on average, single parent families, uh, lone elderly people, uh, singles, couples without children. There's more of those uh, type of household units. So 
that's obviously having a, a change in the landscape. There are also things like changing or alternative working styles, working from home, self-employment, um, having more than one job, a portfolio career as it might be uh, described. Uh, you know, job hopping is, you know, people don't stay, tend to stay in the same job now for life. That's long been gone. So these are some of the changing demographics and population factors, if you like, that, that could uh, impact onto us. And in terms of consequences, what, what could this mean? Well, some of the things I've been observing, if you like, and, um, you know, picking up are things like shared accommodation. Um, you know, the, the greater use of high rise accommodation will, will come back into vogue, you know, went out of vogue, obviously, because of those miserable high rise apartments from the sixties and seventies. But, um, I think inevitably it's going to come back into vogue, uh, especially as we, as we unravel this list of megatrends, you'll understand why that's the case. And indeed, uh, micro living, as I call it. So people sharing accommodation, whether that's generations of family or, uh, multi-let units where people break, you know, we, we break a house down into, into room-based, studio-based accommodation, high-rise because of lack of land and high cost of land, so we go up as we can't go out. And then micro-living, it's a kind of a variation on the, on the multi-let principle, but the idea of micro-living is, you know, perhaps with things like uh, ownership property rather than rental property is what I'm driving out there. There will, as I've hinted, be pressure on land and property prices as a result of this. Um, and indeed some other factors I'm going to go through and that's going to all of this population explosion is going to lead to even greater um, housing demand. So there's some of the consequences that we might need, you know, wish to think about. There's others that I haven't really mentioned, uh, other kinds of trends, but just kind of really keep that in mind as the first one on this. So that's the first one. The, the next one is urbanization. As I mentioned with the environment and recording this, um, you know, I am in a city environment right now and there's all sorts of things that go on um, that I hope doesn't interrupt your enjoyment of the podcast. But just to give you a statistic, which is picked up from one of the uh, sources I referred to earlier, and indeed I've heard quoted in many, many different places, is that back in 1800, only 2% of the world's population lived in cities. And as of now, for the first time in history, over 50%, so the majority, now live in cities. So that's quite a radical shift in terms of, uh, of living patterns, moving away from the rural, you know, farmland type of environment into the cityscape. So that's been an emerging trend. It's a continuing trend, and I think it's going to carry on going. Similarly, there's uh, talk of what they call mega cities. So in, in addition to mega trends, we also have mega cities. Now, mega city is uh, a city that has a population greater than 10 million people. So um, you know, greater London, the, the sort of London as a city, is, is the only one in the UK. Uh, we don't have any other cities that are anywhere close to that. But uh, I think it's China has something like 20 uh, just to put it in context, uh, so uh, Germany has uh, has actually not so many because they they tend to be more sp uh, sp spread out. But mega cities, um, you know, is a trend. But certainly, urbanization, migration to cities, generally speaking, is a trend. So even the uh, the regional cities of Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Leeds, etc., will be uh, increasing in population, generally speaking. Something to keep in mind. The economic strength 
of um, you know the, the of you know, of our economies is moving and shifting towards cities, and you know that means things like service-based jobs are becoming more um, in demand and higher paying and and and, and requiring upskilled uh, labour forces than you know say manufacturing um, uh, was of old or, or sort of farming and those sort of more traditional industries. So a shifting of industry, a shifting towards cities, is is what I'm really driving out about there. In terms of consequences, what does it mean? It will basically means migration to cities, people moving into the cities. So away from more small towns, villages and urban locations and more so into cities. And that trend will continue. But of course, the consequences I hinted at earlier on will be that we require excellent transport links because we're going to need to get around in the cities. And if you uh, if you try to get around in places like London, for example, you know it can be very difficult when you try and uh, use a car. So public transport is the point I'm driving at here, and therefore having good access to public transport links is going to be very important to people. So. From our point of view as property investors, of course, we'll be looking to have properties which are within good access to transport links. And then, of course, you know, as there's going to be more and more demand for living in cities, there's going to be more and more pressure on the planners. And uh, only today, actually, when I recorded this uh, this uh, this episode, I saw that uh, Boris in London has uh, has hit his target of fifty thousand new dwellings from um, brownfield sites in London. So he actually, you know, it's quite a successful policy, I'd say, that he's opened up, you know, government-owned uh, or public authority-owned land and has fast-tracked planning to enable. Uh, planning to take place to build more units in in those city areas because hard to build in the green belt and also the demand is in the cities so as i mentioned more demand changing for planning is required so something to keep in mind for our own plans of course next heading is natural resources and uh, i could have called this uh, you know any number of things but just to keep it simple natural resources the key issues really are things like energy and uh, energy sources. So, you know, carbon fuels are in decline. Um, nuclear fuel is not that popular. So, um, you know, as a result, energy prices are going to go up. And uh, in fact, they're going to be in limited supply. Carbon fuel is in limited supply. So, you know, having to seek out alternative energies is the point. Um, land shortages. Um, so it's a resource, of course, land. So land shortages, particularly with what I've just said about living in cities, there's going to be less uh, land available to build upon. Hence why I'm suggesting that micro units, high rise units, shared accommodation is going to be, you know, something that is going to be in high demand. And of course, climate change is, you know, has been topical for, for quite some time and indeed will continue to be so. So global warming, climate change, uh, use of energy are going to be uh, big, big issues going forward. So in terms of consequences, this is going to lead to higher costs of energy. Um, as carbon fuels go down, we have to invest in uh, either building nuclear reactors, which has a substantial investment that needs to be recovered. Alternatively, you know, harvesting energy through alternative means such as wind, solar, you know, um, marine effectively, tidal is what I was trying to say, um, energy sources, and the technology there is still expensive. So, you know, as a result, that means passing on higher energy costs to us. 
and um, alternative energy and flexible uses of resources is definitely going to be something that, uh, that that we need to look at going forward. And say we, of course, I'm talking about policymakers, but that has a bearing on us as property investors also. And indeed, new building materials will also uh, be required as the expense and uh, and and uh, scarcity or availability of other materials, you know, starts to run dry. Just to illustrate that last point that I, I saw recently, the development of a of a hay uh, building block technique that's being used down in the southwest, you know, as an alternative building um, uh, building building material. This is the word I'm looking for. So the higher costs of energy, of course, are going to be, you know, are going to lead us towards uh, looking at smart homes and an alternative energy supply. The uh, alternative energies themselves are going to mean that, um, you know, just merely having, you know, basic gas and uh, electricity main supply um, into homes is not necessarily going to be the only source these days. We might be seeing solar panels, we might be seeing, um, you know, heat pumps and this sort of thing being installed in properties to um, generate um, energy from other means and to store it and to use it that way and even to put it back into the grid. So these are some of the ideas, if you like, that, that are out there. And, you know, so the idea of the Victorian Terrace, you know, uh, surviving um, in its current state for the next 50 years is, you know, perhaps worth keeping in mind. Uh, you know, so I think th these are all going to lead to decisions on, on what uh, people are going to be looking for in their homes as it goes forward. And of course, you know, a lot of these points are inter interlinked, of course. And so the next one is technological advancement. You know, I will talk about some of the things that, uh, you know, come out of uh, some of the early ones. But uh, technological advance advancements, things like disintermediation. That's quite a big word, isn't it? <laughs> Basically, it means cutting out the middleman. Uh, disintermediation. So... Um, it's interesting, we've got a voicemail coming up later from Andy, and uh, he's going to be talking about uh, online letting agents. So online letting agents uh, is a good example of disintermediation. We've seen trends in insurance, for example, and other sectors, you know, where um, traditional uh, direct-to-consumer um, retail or, or advisory services have been replaced by low-cost, you know, online delivery. That's a classic example of disintermediation and the changing technology that helps uh, helps us. Indeed, also the sharing economy. So, you know, there's now, you know, we, we all have access to internet. We can shop on eBay and Amazon, buy stuff globally. Equally, we can get a taxi from Uber on an app and we can go on our holidays and use Airbnb. So, you know, there's a, a number of examples there of, uh, of, these, of this sharing economy and how this can be, uh, uh, have an effect on us. And indeed, alternative design and building methodologies and techniques, which I'll explain a little bit in a second. So, some of the examples and how it can affect on us. There's, so, if we take retail as a, as a case in point, disintermediation or the use of technology has led to what's called bricks and clicks businesses. So, John Lewis, for example, has a store, but it also has a website, bricks and clicks. Um, there are other providers who just have clicks, Amazon, classically. They don't have, uh, you know, retail units. They just have an internet, um, you know, website where you can go and buy things. And, um, and I think, you know, I'm using some big example, big brand name examples, but these will be emerging trends and we'll, we shall see more and more, um, service and, and retail delivery through, uh, online means. And indeed, I, I would predict another emerging trend of what I call pick and mix self-service. So um, if you take the idea, you know, to the to the nth degree, we can move away from the high street uh, estate agent 
or letting agent to an online letting agent and you'll be pleased for me plugging this but even to other service providers that allow you to pick and choose what services you actually want to deploy so for example just some tenant referencing well you can go now to places just to have that service delivered um, so I don't want to go too far into it, but you know this whole idea of pick and mix services. I see that as coming downstream, and we can either use that to advantage, or it could uh, it could impact us in some way. There could be new competitors that come into the landscape, perhaps that we didn't really consider. I mentioned uh, Airbnb, for example. Now you might think of it as just a short-term holiday, you know, or, or um, town centre living provider, and and possibly it is. But um, I think you know they they are offering room rentals, you know, fundamentally. So it is a competitor. Similarly, SpareRoom.com. Um, and of course, with the recent changes in the budget in the UK, with uh, incentivizing homeowners to take in lodgers, you're going to see more use of sites like Spare Room and Airbnb to promote, um, you know, spare accommodation inside houses. So, new competitor threat for us there. And I've uh, next one up. I've got as a as a potential consequence to us. I've written down posh beds in sheds. So everyone's aware of the whole beds in sheds idea, which of course is terrible and uh, I do not advocate in any way. But uh, the idea of posh beds in sheds is um, if you can imagine these sort of container-sized units, which have got not you know they're nicely appointed, they've perhaps got a, a collapse a fold fold-down bed. And, uh, you know, a study in the garden type of thinking with uh, living space, making use of this, the land that we already have available. That would be a good example. I've seen a number of developers now who are converting, um, you know, large units into micro units. So breaking them down even further with uh, mezzanine floors and uh, integrated, you know, appliances and this sort of thing um, that, you know, in, in much smaller space. So making better use of space is another uh, technological advancement, if you like. And then, you know, overall technology, things like convergence and interconnectivity uh, are going to have a bearing. So the idea of the smart home, uh, for example. So, you know, now you can actually install uh, technology that uh, allows you to control the temperature of your home when you're not there. Uh, turn the lights on and off. Uh, these sorts of things. So um, just you think sort of laterally how these things could have a bearing uh, onto us. And it's not just have a bearing. It's also about desirability. Uh, it's also about cost management. You know, these are the, some of the consequences that come out of these megatrends that we, we might want to think about. The next big one is, of course, globalization. And, you know, no one can escape the fact that we now live in a global economy. And But in terms of some of the key issues, what it means is we now have much closer interlinked economies, don't we? So um, look at, you know, what happens in Greece and what happens to the, I mean, it doesn't affect us so much here in the UK, but certainly what happened in Greece affected the whole Eurozone. You even had President Obama saying, please, can we fix what's going on in Greece? As an illustration of uh, of how the sort of we're interlinked in terms of the economies, um, we've got uh, change in the competitive landscape, if you like, as a result of globalization. You know, now we've got uh, you can source anything from anywhere, pretty much. So, and it, you know, and, and whether that's products or services, and then we've also got shifts in wealth creation as well. So the traditional Western economies that um, used to have all the wealth, if you like, and assets now are, you know, being transferred to some extent um, over to emerging economies. So there's a rebalancing, if you like. What does it all mean? Well, it means that we're going to be faced with increasingly uh, more foreign investors. 
Now, those investors could be individuals who are looking to invest their wealth into the UK market, for example, or it could be institutional. Now, I mention that for a, a reason that I think uh, there will be a, a shift in the landscape in, in the private rented sector that we will see more institutional investors come in. So they'll be both from, uh, you know, locally based, if you like, UK based uh, companies such as the insurers, but I think they'll also come from further afield. Uh, wouldn't it surprise me if uh, we had either directly or, or similar think people to Blackstone who are big in the in the US, for example, coming over to the UK or being replicated in the UK. So, you know, something to keep in mind. I, I think the ideas of uh, lots and lots of uh, uh, individual landlords, you know, we might be coming under threat from um, larger foreign investors. And of course, that can also lead to um, foreign tenants as well. And, you know, anyone who's been uh, studying, if you like, uh, the, the changes in, in immigration checks that we need to make as landlords will be aware that now we're an extension of border control. So uh, we have to check on whether um, whether our tenant is entitled to be here. So that's just one very small example of how the uh, globalization can affect us directly. There'll also, as I, been, as I hinted, be longer term shifts in, in wealth uh, to the emerging economies, but also renewing economies. I, I, I don't know if that's an official term. It's one I've just created anyway. So a good example of a renewing economy is probably the United States, um, where they reinvented themselves really in terms of being a technology um, innovator in creating intellectual property and value through uh, technology. So moved away from traditional industries and moved into uh, technology. And that, so they're an example, if you like, of a renewing economy. And in, in the UK has been doing it as well with science and technology and financial services. So um, it isn't just the shift in wealth to the emerging economies, although that will happen. It's also uh, those who are smart enough to adapt. And that's a good lesson for us to take away as well. And essentially, we're going to have one world economy. And so, you know, that means that we, uh, you know, just to illustrate the point, we could renovate a home with workers from Eastern Europe and let it to Asian students and source materials from individuals on the Internet from all over the world. So this whole idea of a one world economy uh, means that we can um, essentially uh, use that to advantage or it could be a threat to us as well. The next area I wanted to consider is public finances. Now, uh, if I mention quantitative easing, if I can even if I can say it, quantitative easing, debt to GDP ratios, bailouts, you kind of know what I mean here. That there has been something of a public finances crisis over the last few years, and that is going to have a bearing in the future. And um, there is a an increasing wealth inequality that has been documented quite well. Um, reduced tax income, uh, well, sorry, there's, there's reduce, a reduction in the number of tax paying individuals and that will increase as time goes by. I mentioned we've got an aging population. So there'll be more people who are retired and therefore not generating tax for the, um, governments of this world to collect, to fund our public services. So that will happen. Similarly, there is going to be and already is an increasing cost of welfare. So welfare in terms of health, education and pensions is the, these things are all putting a squeeze, if you like, on public finances. So what are some of the consequences of this? Well, 
For a start, there's going to be increasing squeeze on pensions and benefits. We're already starting to see that, as I mentioned. Some of these things are starting to have a bearing now, but it's going to get worse. I mean, pensions in the UK are funded out of current contributions. They're not reinvest. They're not investment from our national insurance for us to draw down at a later date. They're funded out of current taxpayers. So, as I mentioned, you know, there's going to be a squeeze on public finance. Um, there, if you like, uh, a, a, a public outcry and a rise in the un- underclass is uh, is another consequence that can come out here. And uh, that will have a bearing on on us as well, and we've already seen that with uh, you know calls to uh, regulate, if you like, in, in in which I'll talk about also later, but in the private rented sector. And there's going to be a greater reliance on private institutional finance, for example, things like PPP, where it's uh, privately funded uh, government uh, programs, so private private money effectively coming in to provide um, public services, but also on individual finance, and we've seen a growing trend in things like P2P and uh, crowdfunding. And I, see, I think we're going to see more of that. And that can provide an opportunity for us, as you might expect. Rise of the individual is another headline, and um, what do I mean by this? Really, things like a bigger voice to people through the internet and social media public protests and uh, and referenda that are taking place and uh, and lobbying with the help of media power you know small voices can now be leveraged with media power to make big noise so the consequence of this could be things like uh, public naming and shaming only in the only this week we've seen the poor the, the poor plight of Cecil the lion who was uh, hunted illegally in in Zimbabwe wasn't it and um, you know this hunter who's now been pilloried uh, on the on the internet. Now, I'm not passing a judgment. I don't I think he should have done it. By the way, I love animals, love lions especially. But the point I'm making is he, he was shamed publicly, and you know I don't know if there's going to be any wider consequences of that. But uh, that's just one example. Now, just consider it from the point of view of individuals now being able to rate us and uh, on on services such as the one Andy's going to promote. Uh, letting letting agents, estate agents, landlords can all be rated now. There are services out there. We can be, we can have a name dragged through the mud on social media and forums and that sort of thing. There's going to be aggregation, if you like, of individual groups into powerful lobby groups. So generation rent is an example of that. A mobilisation of individuals to create a powerful force and movement. And um, there's a trend of more separatism, if you like. Um, you know, just look at uh, Scotland. You know, there was a, uh, you know, almost half the, the population of Scotland wanted it to be an independent country. We may even revisit that again in the future after, obviously, the latest uh, election results. So this move or this drive to separate, uh, separatism and, uh, and that's really going to give greater power to regions and locals, uh, local areas rather than just central government. Which leads me on quite nicely to my last point, which is government. And, uh, you know, what are the key issues? Doing more with less. You know, talked about squeeze on public finances, uh, regulation and, and compliance that can't keep up with the pace of change, and uh, this whole idea of five-year political cycles. And uh, the implications, of course, you're probably guessing, a smaller state. But uh, but also smaller service levels to follow. I don't know if you've ever tried to contact a council about anything these days. But basically, the service levels are pretty shocking. Um, you have to wait quite a long time. So because there's not enough money and there's been jobs that are being cut, etc. Higher regulation, yes. 
Low enforcement, mm, probably. We've seen that recently. That uh, there's, for example, now uh, recently a law that uh, all letting agents have to be part of a redress scheme. And I think it was Sheffield, wasn't it? It was Sheffield this week that reported. I think only I think it was something like four out of twenty-two or twenty odd letting agents were publishing. Uh, so that wasn't the redress scheme. It was publishing fees on their website, wasn't it? But similarly with redress scheme, everyone has to be part of a redress scheme. And you know these these regulations have come in. But people are not uh, adhering to them. But equally, there's not enough money now from government to, inf- to, to enforce them and police them. So that's another consequence. And things like licensing schemes that, of course, we're, we're seeing uh, increasingly more come in. You know, the, the licensing scheme is coming in, but who's actually enforcing it is the question. And then there are things like uh, populist policies, which uh, which come about through as a result of this five-year political cycle. You know, the government of the day wants to get re-elected, so they introduce populist uh, um, uh, policies rather than long-term sustainable ones. So we are always sort of running on these shorter-term cycles and not really investing for the future. So there you go. So my, there, there, if you like, is my list of megatrends. I tried to point them out and some of the key issues that I can see as a result and some of the consequences onto us. Now, I mentioned that, you know, I didn't really want to go a deep dive in this particular episode. That's as far as I wanted to take it today. And it was more of a, an awareness session, if you like. So the idea is, what can we do about it now that we know this? I did illustrate the point earlier with the coal mining industry, uh, for example, didn't I? And I think, you know, just, just to put it into some context now, as a result of what you've just heard, will you be rushing out to buy homes in rural villages and small towns? Or would it be better, perhaps, to consider investing into a, an existing or a growing city? Does letting to people reliant on welfare benefits look like a sustainable business model for the next 10 years or so? Or is there another growth area that might emerge instead? What what will the discerning tenant of the future be looking for in their future home? Will it be single-skin walls with carbon-fueled heating systems and low-speed internet? Or on the other hand, will it be energy-efficient smart homes using all the less, latest uh, alternative energy sources with a high-speed fibre-optic broadband connection in an inner-city uh, train centre? Train centre? Inner-city centre close to a train station or tube station is what I intended to say. So... These are some of the things that, you know, I hope you get the picture that why am I bringing in this sort of 10 to 50 year horizon? Uh, it's because it's going to affect our business model. It's going to affect demand for housing, property prices, tenant demand, um, and that side of the type, that type of thing. So even if we don't start down this route now today, it does help us to have an eye on what could be coming on, uh, along downstream. And so that helps us to either plan right from the beginning or alternatively build in some flexibility into our business plans instead. And it's a point really is to make us look a little bit further than white kitchen units, magnolia walls and cappuccino carpets as the only trends of the day that uh, are, are relevant to our investment decisions. Because as you've, as I've just highlighted, there are several other mega trends that could have a very significant bearing on our business. And as a, as my property developer friend said, we should follow the money. And if the money is finding out these things and is investing accordingly, then it wouldn't help for us to do the same. And on that bombshell, I shall leave it there for now. So I do want to share with you the voicemail from Andy that I received, and he's from trustedagents.co.uk. Sorry, trustedagents.org.uk. And uh, not only did he have some nice things to say about us, but he also has a, a useful service to independently rate online letting agents as well. So let's hear from Andy now. 
Hi Richard, this is Andy from trustedagents.org.uk. Um, a few things that I'm trying to get into this 90 seconds. Uh, for, first of all, great site. Site. I love how you curate so much great um, property news. I can know that, that can be one hell of a job because there is so much news out there. Uh, secondly, this voicemail feature is awesome. I hadn't thought about it before, but it's so much so much easier and natural than typing out a, a big lengthy message. And finally, um, as I mentioned, I'm from trustedagents.org.uk, a non-profit comparison site for online estate agents. And it would be awesome if you could check us out and possibly um, add us to your resources. Um, as I mentioned, we review online estate agents and I think it will be useful. Uh, recording's coming to an end, so I'll just stop it there. But yeah, I hope to hear back soon. My email is andy at trustedagents.org.uk. Okay, thanks. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye. So I thought it was very fitting to share with you this today as uh, uh, online letting agents are definitely an example of a disruptive emerging technology and that's the, changing the way that we do business in that respect. Equally, Andy's service also gives power to the voice of the individual as well. And so, um, you know, he didn't know it probably when he left this message that, uh, that it was going to be bang on topic and relevant to today's uh, musing. So thanks, Andy, for that. Um, maybe it triggered my thinking somewhat to actually publish the episode as well. So that's a pretty good indication that uh, perhaps there's, there's something in this megatrend stuff after all. I hope you I hope you see that and uh, maybe keep it in mind. And, um, you know, if you're not going to rush out and make ma massive changes today, just keep it in mind that there will be changes coming downstream. So it might be worth getting appraised and getting familiar with some of these megatrends. And if you found it at all interesting or useful, uh, let me know. And uh, in fact, let me know directly. Why don't you drop me an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Alternatively, you can do what Andy did and just leave me a voicemail, um, which is via SpeakPipe uh, directly from the website. So you don't need a telephone. Just do it straight into the microphone on your headset. Do that for me. I'd love to hear what you thought of today and uh, whether or not we face extinction or not, and whether or not you'd like to have a deeper dive into this area of megatrends. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.